Flynn Royal. I'm going to show one of my favourite submissions. It's a, a dash choke and finishing with my partner straightening my hips. So I'm going to stretch my partner out. I'll dive through, my arms overlap. My right hand's coming through. I start to walk into finish with Max straightening my hips. And this is momentum to turn from this position, keeping my hips high so that the hips are free. Stepping over, bringing my hips to Newton. So uh, we have a new sponsor, uh, Fight Aesthetic. They're a Malaysian British band. Uh, band? Brand, excuse me. And uh, we have a discount code where we'll, you'll get 10% um, off all products except the Alpha Kimono, which is BJJ Asia. Valid on asia.fightaesthetic.com. Uh, thanks to the guys at Aesthetic for that. All right. So um, this is technically episode number four. Um, our guest today is Ben Royal. He's the head coach of Phuket Grappling Academy. Um, he just... And he's a represents Progress Jiu Jitsu Thailand products, and uh, originally from Manchester. And I just wanted to have a conversation with him today. So where do we start? Um, yeah. So you're from Manchester originally. Uh, what age did you start um, doing martial arts? I began training when I was 15. Like uh, I started with MMA, and then um, I took up sort of gi Jiu Jitsu as well, like around the same time. And I've just never stopped since then, really. Which team did you originally train out of with Manchester? When I first started, it was like a really small like MMA gym. It was like a like really dingy, like archaic, you know, like Fight Club, maybe a bit McDojo. Yeah. And then I was training like Factory BJJ as well. And then that was like a, my first exposure to sort of, um, I guess, real jiu-jitsu. And like, a, it was a good coach there. And before I left Manchester, sort of the last three years, I was part of the ASW and ASW Manchester. So that's like... um. Now it's quite a big gym, but then it was a lot smaller. But that was like all no-gi grappling and kind of uh, like catch wrestling as well. Yeah, which jiu-jitsu association was that? Um, ASW. ASW, yeah. I, at the time, there wasn't like an association to it. Like, um, the coach was a brown belt, like, uh, you know, catch wrestler. Yeah. I think now they're under uh, Ben Popperton's association. Right, okay. But, um, yeah, at the time, I never received any belts though. Yep. Obviously, my belts now are under... Olavo, so it's like Carlson Gracie lineage. Yeah. Was so you've always been in Manchester or did you go around maybe like London and that or was it Oh uh, no, I lived in Manchester. Um from like I was born there until I was uh twenty one and then I moved to Phuket. I've lived there for the last nearly seven years. Why did you make the decision to move over to Phuket then? I never really consciously made a decision that I'd just gonna move there, you know. But I went for a month to train. Uh the coach, my old coach, Eric, he um Eric took like an inch shine to me. He was a really good coach, and he said he'd get the gym to sponsor my training if I was to come back. Kind of like had nothing else going on for me. I thought, uh, I'll see how long I can make it last. I came here like two and a half grand. I was bought to flight six months apart, and then um, I got like an offer I could stay, you know, teach jiu-jitsu, keep training. I was like, well, I'll just see how long it lasts. It's kind of snowballed, you know. So Eric, um, that's um, Eric Urisk, right? Yeah, Eric, yeah, Urisk, Eric the yeah. gentleman, I think he is. Yeah, yeah. Is he still teaching at um, Jocko's gym? Yeah, I think he he teaches at uh, Victory MMA, so like Jocko and uh, Dean Lister. Yeah, yeah, he's doing really well. But he's like like a life coach now, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I saw coaching? that. Yeah, yeah, he kind of moved away like from a, MMA, but yeah, quite, quite, a, quite an evolution. Yeah, I think he was kind of a life coach when he was at Phuket Top Team, anyway. So, yeah. So then you. Is that just straight from PTT straight to um, straight to PG or Phuket Grappling Academy? Is that what happened? I never really like planned to. Like, things just kind of happened, right? I didn't plan to uh, open a gym. I was just um, 
I was teaching kids that I taught, you know, for like sort of years. I continued teaching them and I was just renting um a space in like a yoga studio. You had you know, like mats that I'd put out um in the evening, pack them away at the end of the week, you know, and there'd be yoga classes there going on. But they just kept putting the rent up. Yeah. And then uh I was like, I thought so I had to uh sort of commit and get in like a space. So that was like the original uh blue small blue gym. And uh because I had the space and I had like, you know, all the time I was like, fuck, well, I'll just do like one nogi class a night because um, I like it. And if I, I don't get the chance to train twice that day at like 7 p.m., I'll train with my friends and like we can just grapple. It'll be good. And then they just kind of took off. And then yep. I was like, oh, it was like doing well. I was like, oh, fuck, maybe I should do more of this. Maybe I start doing morning classes and then, you know, I gave it a name and stuff. And it became like I uh, moved into the bigger gym. Like, yeah. You had the small blue room. It was quite from what I from what I heard from other people that's been trained there before. Pretty notorious as a really tough training room. You skip three steps and you end up in this huge, massive facility. Yeah. But what's what's the story with that? The big facility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably like like the the blue gym. It was like a sixty meter squad, and like we filled it pretty quickly. Like it'd be um sometimes in the evenings there'd be like twenty people on the mat. Like like the busiest class there was like thirty people. You know, there's like UFC fighters there. It's just like fucking. It's really good energy actually, but it's like super dangerous and the floor is just soaking wet. Yeah. And uh, so they needed to move for a while. And then um, my friend just was sending me pictures of this, like, uh, it's basically like an abandoned building where like the new, it's where the new gym is now. And like, I went to try and um, eventually was like, yeah, yeah, let's just see. So I went to see how much the rent would be. And um, like the gym are now 600 meters squared, right? So like if you go in, there's like a, a weight section and like the bathrooms there it's like 200 meters squared and then there's like the big space where the mat is which is like another 400 so like originally i was trying to rent like just one section of this building so it's like 200 meters and they told us the price and i was like oh it's, that's all right it's pretty reasonable and like no it's just for everything you know for like the whole land and my friend who like found the land he like was encouraging me he was like yeah, you can help with our investment whatever but it paid off like Within like a month of moving in there, it like would kind of space again, pretty much, you know? Yeah. How was the process of like getting the mats, getting the equipment, everything? Was that quite, that, that was quite a new thing to you, right? Sourcing equipment, et cetera. It's like when you're doing it all, I think it's like stressful. Yeah. And like, it, it's time consuming in a sense that you have to go and, you have to check the building. You're like, um, talking to people all the time. You're dealing, like, there's like issues come up, obviously, like with all the, all the supply chain. You're like, things get delayed. Really, it is kind of easy if you just pay for it. It's yeah. just like the hard part is like getting the money and then like obviously budgeting it. Sounds stupid, but like you, you, once, you pay, once you've paid the builder, it's like, I'm not a builder. I can't do it all myself. Yeah. Once you've paid them, it's like, it's just hoping that they do it. <laughs> if that, if that's the hard part. Anyone could do it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you've got the right capital, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting dynamic right now. I mean, we, we, we had the lockdowns, et cetera. And then Phuket kind of just got really quiet. And then even in the, um, my friend opened up a little, a little tiny gym to train at in, uh, in Copenhagen as well. And just all the rent prices, just because no foreigners can come in, were like really, really cheap. So everyone just mm. coming up with the idea of maybe building gyms or certain gyms were shutting down in Phuket, for example. What was it like during lockdown for you guys? Yeah, it was difficult. Like, uh, it was like a completely different world for like, um, well, I guess it was everywhere, right? But yeah. like, um, you just had the same people. I like, was so used to like in Phuket, it's so transient. Like uh, you have new training partners every month, pretty much, and like um, every week even, and then suddenly it was just like the same group of people all the time. My experience of lockdown wasn't that bad. So like the, yeah. like the first three months, when all the gyms were shut, we were training in someone's um, at home. We were training twice a day. We had mats. There was like a good group of like six guys, like 
every, everyone was good. Like they're all like, like now out of the people there is like four black belts. One of the guys like a college wrestler, you know. So we had like really good training for a few months. Then uh, gyms reopened, sort of. Then it was like a bit rough for a few months, and then sort of all the trainers and stuff at our gym left, mm -hmm. and then finding our own things, you know. But it was, yeah. like, it was like interesting. It's like an exciting time, I guess. Yeah. Like when you, when you look back at it, you know. Because there's a few gyms, well, shouldn't name them, but some of them are shutting down and we got brand new gyms opening up as well. I mean, at, at one point, it was just this one long street where like PTT Tiger and all that were as well. It sounds like AKA Thailand as well. They kind of go for the Chinese tourists now, apparently. I'm not sure on their exact market, mm -hmm. but like they, they definitely, and, and it's not like me um, having a go at them. It's like all mm -hmm. part of the marketing model, yeah. which they present. It's like their whole thing now is like, we're a gym for people who've never trained before. Yeah. And like, it's like, we just want beginners who want to come and train and like, you have a beautiful facility, I'm sure we'll treat you really well. But it's like, they're not really, I think, invested in sort of like building serious champions athletes, and stuff, yeah. you know? Like, it's serious. There's a place for it all, you know? Yeah, that's but true. Like, but like, definitely, it's like, uh, yeah, when I first got there, like, the, the thought of like opening the gym in Phuket was like, insane. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I wouldn't have, even if I was like, when I was 22 and like, oh, eventually I've retired, I'm going to oh, have my own gym. I was like, impossible to do in Phuket it's like yeah. so it was such a centralized market where you just had like sort of you know Tiger PTT obviously a bunch of Muay Thai gyms yeah. but it was just them two doing MMA and then there was AKA a the, far side of the island yeah and they started like fighters and stuff you know but like now I think it was like it's exploded now yeah it's probably like seven or eight MMA gyms there's a temple PJ and then obviously all the Muay Thai and stuff too. Yeah. And then you've got the bank town now over at, uh, near the airport as well. Because it yeah, takes like yeah. an hour to get down to Rawai basically from a taxi base. That bank town is really nice gym, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it's like busier than Tiger now probably. Like, they've done a really good job of it. They know? have, yeah. I mean, uh, it was the Hickman brothers and then it was um, Alex Schild, right? And they used to be with yeah, Tiger, right? and Woody. Yeah, they're all really good coaches. Um, they have obviously good business partners and stuff too. Like uh, I think I, I've been called train this, you know, every now and then, like I, I'd go more often if it was closer. Like I think it's the, probably the best place to train MMA if you yeah. Phuket for sure. Maybe probably, probably Asia, you know? You, you bought like basically a, a ticket to Phuket and then uh, you spaced it out for six months, right? The aim was to be an MMA, for, well, the aim was to like develop your, uh, what, what was the goal? It's difficult, I don't know. I think about it quite a lot. Like, uh, I, I think your goals change as you're going along, right? You mm -hmm. keep setting it, you realize sort of what's possible or whatever. Um, when I first started training, like um, I like I loved it. You know, I was like obsessed with it. Like, I like I still am obsessed with it to an extent. But it's like the goal of it then is like, oh, I'd love to be able to do this full time. Like I can do this as my job. You know, that was like the ultimate goal for me. Like I'm really lucky. I've got to do that pretty much since I was like 21. I fighting was just the way you'd be able to do that, right? You'd be able yeah. to train full time from fighting. I didn't think that like um, I would open a gym stuff like that until I was older. It was always just to take it as far as I can. I never, it's probably a bad, it's a bad thing, really. I should have had much more concrete goals of like, I want to do this, whatever, but I'm not like, I'm not that motivated by like glory and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is probably a bad thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then it's, at the same time, there's just like subtle, subtleness um, that I've noticed. I mean, from what I hear from other people as well, like you don't really market yourself. Um, that's what I've noticed. And then for, for example, uh, one of the students at Arete, for example, he's like, he's like trying to Google all the gyms. And then like, when you, when you go on the landing page on the website or like IG, there's like, no, for example, if you go to bank, I was like, oh, we have these amazing coaches. We have these amazing coaches. These guys have coached this, this and that. And then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to look for the coaches on PGA, but I can't find anything. 
<laughs> like, yeah. But then at the same time, you have this like fearsome reputation as one of like pr pretty much the best nogi gym in like Phuket now. Uh, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I do think it's the best nogi gym in like, like Thailand, you know? Mm -hmm. It was like a conscious decision to an extent. Like, you know, if it's like martial artists and like mm -hmm. gyms and stuff, it's like, but there should be like an element of humbleness. Mm -hmm. And then like, I'd see like gyms like posting, um, not, not, not Bangtao. Yeah. Like what you just mentioned them. But I don't, I don't. be posting like a, oh, we're the best gym in, we have the best jiu-jitsu in Asia, we have the best, but there's like, there's no, there's no statistic to this, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, it's like, it's not for you to say, other people yeah. should say like, you're the best at this, you're, this is the best place for that. That's when you, um, it's like legitimized. In yeah, eyes, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah. All the sort of like best gyms that I know, like all the famous ones, there's almost like not a need to market themselves. Exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like people have talked about um, in Holland, like uh, I think it's like Mike's gym. I don't, I don't know if it was Mike's gym in particular, but I think it was like someone I know went to train there. And they're like, ah, oh, it's just on like the third floor of a mill. There's no sign. You just walk up, you go up the stairs and you put like, you're just in this room. It's like world champions everywhere, you know? Yeah. So, but everyone, they don't need to do like sponsored Instagram posts and stuff yeah. like that. Everyone knows that's like the place to train. That's kind of like the the humbleness marketing and uh, that that's been going around in the jiu-jitsu community in Japan as well. For example, um, it started with Yuki Nakai, obviously. Yeah, Everyone knows yeah. about him, right? Yeah, um, awesome. so the way it worked was there was Paraestra, which is kind of like MMA slash jiu-jitsu, and then uh, one of his really good students, Mitsuyoshi Hayakawa, he was more interested in the just the jiu-jitsu side of things, so he opened up a team called Triforce. Now, Triforce has got a really good reputation, but like you said, they don't market themselves. They're very professional. They're very systematic. They have very strict standards when it comes to their coaches. And um, in terms of associations, it's very, very strict standards. But then one of his students, um, Ishikawa, he ended up opening Carpe Diem. Now, when you see the marketing strategy they have and the type of staff that they have there, which is both foreign and Japanese staff, they're very much different, covered in tattoos as well. And they're... I wouldn't say they're trying to like big themselves up in that, but at the same time they have kind of modernized and made like jujitsu sort of like hip to the younger crowd as well. So they do have quite, they, they, they've managed to recruit quite a lot of good people. And now they have, I think it's like 26 associations now, and that's including one in London, Korea, Philippines. Now there's one in Bangkok now as well. So yeah. yeah. I, I think there's definitely a place for it. Like it's not, um, I don't think marketing is a bad thing. So uh -huh. I, yeah. I think, it's something I need to improve, like just for yeah. like the business side of it. So obviously you need, um, you can't make a really good gym if you don't have like a good business behind it as well, just to support it. Otherwise it's like, um, not sustainable, you yeah. know, whatever you're doing. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. There's like a balance, isn't there? Yeah. There's like, I think there's like a correct way to do it in a sense, but I, that's just by my standard. Like obviously for everyone else, it's, yeah. for people it's different. Like, so you moved over when you were 21 and then you were kind of like an athlete at the time. At what age did you actually start coaching full time there? Well, once I moved, I was kind of like, um, assisting Eric with things. Like I was basically his bitch though. You know, I wasn't getting paid. It was just like, you do what, I just have to do what he told me. And then like, I say, I got, I got you here. Yeah, like, yeah. We do what I say. When I was in there like five or six months, I was like teaching the kids. And then I was starting to like make a little bit of money from it. Yeah. But the first four, four years or something until I was like 24, 25. Until COVID, basically, I would only work like one class a day, you know. I just and then I just had like a little bit of money enough to like sort of stay and yep. train. I was like, I just trained full time. I was like, very happy. Well, you just mentioned kids right now. Um, 
what I've noticed is you seem to have a really good reputation as a kids coach. Now we've got a kids program on Arete as well, but like I, I get really, I get really nervous when it comes to coaching kids. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't know why. Cause I'm, I'm just like, I get nervous. Like what if I hurt them? What if I say something wrong? I don't want to make them cry. <laughs> I, I get really scared about little things like yeah, that. Yeah. And I really, really care. But um, yeah, you seem to like, you seem to do it quite naturally. Yeah. I, I think actually the older you get, the harder it gets to coach kids. Like right, okay. in a sense, like it's, um, I don't know why. I think I think maybe people you get that it's harder to connect with them, feel less patient. There's like a barrier as well. Once you're like um, like I I can see it now. Like if there's like a new child when new children come, like I don't teach the beginner kids at our gym anymore. Mm -hmm. really, or very rarely. Yeah. But like um, if you're if you're talking to a seven year old and you're sort of like like now I'm 28, mm -hmm. you're old enough to be the parent. Really, yeah. there there is that sort of. That's what you're an ad very much an adult to them, you know. Whereas when like kind of 21, 22, I started working with them they can see you more like, um, not so much like, oh, like, oh yeah, I'm like an older brother to them, but like, you're not quite in the same yeah, age, realm age as range, like yeah. parents and teachers, you know, it's like, but yeah, our kids programs, like, we have like a comprehensive one, you know, it's yeah. like beginners, advanced, like every single day, like trying to, for the advanced kids, like really, like, I want it to be like, um, like a pathway towards sort of like elite level. Our advanced kids, normally kids programs are sort of, um, they're sort of fobbed off, you know, it's like blue belt, stuff like that. We have blue belts who might assist, but like all the all the coaches who work with the adults work with the children, you know. So like they have like myself, like um our wrestling coach is like a D one wrestler. Mm -hmm. They're getting like um elite level training. You yeah. Know? Like, so what are the age ranges for your kids? Five up. Five up. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we have beginners class at like five p.m. every day. That's kind of like five to ten year olds. Right. And then uh, advanced is after that. And then most of them now are like sort of 10 to 13, 14. I hope it like feeds into the adult program ultimately, yeah. you know, but like Phuket's so transient as well. Exactly, it's like, yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine rather. Someone's going to stay here for sort of eight years and go from sort of eight years old to 16 just with us, you know. But uh, there'll be one or two, I think. Yeah. Well, you didn't have a solid goal, but you wanted to do this full time. So it sounds like you're a coach already mentally in your mind but you're still a fighter at the same time like what was the transition between going from like an athlete to coach like what was the decision oh, it's not just happened or it's just money like, bad way. Like, oh, no. it's not i don't just do it for i don't just do it for money but mm -hmm. it's like if there was no such thing as like money i could just do whatever you wanted i would still train like twice a day i would probably very rarely teach you know like it, it is work but like if I'm to do work and I have to do, and you have to make money, right? I have mm -hmm. like the art to support and stuff now. It's like, there's nothing else I'd rather do. You know, it's like my favorite thing. Like it's still being involved with sort of my passion, you know, coaching and running the gym is stability, you know? Yeah. It can be a little bit unsealed being an MMA fighter. There's so many, like, well, the highs are high and the lows are extremely low by the looks of things. At the moment, it's like amazing. Like, it's like so exciting. Like, like the life I have now, even though it's, it's not like I made that money from fighting, mm -hmm. it's like, I never would be here if it wasn't for having done all that. Like it was, yeah, I miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah. I still, still probably do it at some point. I don't know. There'll be a point where it's like everything's sort of stable. I'm also aware I'll never really be able to be as invested as I was when I was younger. Yeah. It's like selfish in a way. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to be if you're going to be an athlete, right? No, no, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But, it, and it's selfish of me to just do that. And like, uh, I'm going to make it, babe. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, for some people, it's like, I, I get it. You know, for some people, it's like, that is the best chance for them to yeah. give, like, a good life for the kids. But it's like, 
quite safer to just like run this really successful gym and like yeah. send my kid to international school. <laughs> like, oh, that'd yeah. be a bit, yeah, that'd probably be the smarter investment. Like, yeah. I'll just hope I get like a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck. So how did you find the training environment in Asia compared to the UK? Well, when I first came, like the um, it just seemed a lot more professional, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if that'd be Asia as a whole or yeah. just sort of the gym I was at. Yeah, when you come into Phuket, the Phuket at least, like it's uh, pretty much everyone that's there is like there to train, you know. Yeah. Like um, now with our gym, we're trying to try and get more people who sort of live in Phuket and stuff. And like we have like a lot of expats and guys who do work full time and still train. Definitely, if you're on site, everyone's either like a professional fighter or even if they're not in the sort of like one month or two months they're there. They're training twice a day. Yeah. Obviously, Eric, the coach, it was like... um. He came from, you know, like, um, America, you know, he coached at really good gyms there. So he had like, um, a program and a structure and just, and just the way it was run, like I could see, um, I was like developing, you know, I was like learning, I was, um, just in the right environment. Yeah. But the, the, I think you can get that in the UK now, you know, there is professional gyms and yeah. Like, yeah, at the time in the UK, you'd like very rarely have like professional fighters on the mat. There's only like a few gym, not every gym would have professional fighters, yeah. nearly everyone that's training just like um you know hobbyists who like go and do you know grappling or like some MMA on the weekends like whereas like you go in the room you know the room for the pro training and they'd be like uh 30 professional fighters you know like, it's like completely different you know yeah it is yeah like, there, there's definitely places like that in the uk now though as well mm -hmm. you know but it just wasn't what i came from yeah it seems like um i remember i think i left the uk when was it, it might have been 2000 I started training maybe 2011, 2012, and I think I left around 2016 to live in Thailand. I was, it was a job in Bangkok, but at the time, yeah, it, al it almost seemed like barely scratching the surface. I mean, when you go down to London, there's a whole bunch of gyms, right? But now it yeah. just seems like every other weekend, there's some professional grappling competition. Um, you've got Polaris there now. And on top of that, you've got like a week, uh, you've got, um, especially in Scotland, you've got like competitions every other weekend and then UK as well. So it's just definitely growing exponentially. Oh, I think I am. The level of jiu-jitsu in the UK is like really high. It's like, really high now, especially, yeah. Especially London, like, um, I think there's like a load of teams that sort of cross-train and stuff yeah. over there, but like some of them obviously have come to visit my gym and stuff and like, it's like a really good level. Like, yeah, really, really good level, yeah. Like a lot higher than here. Like, to yeah, me. to be fair, yeah. Well, now it's uh, in the UK BJJA or the BJJ Association in the UK. Now you can actually add it to the school curriculums apparently now. Really? So yeah, yeah. So it's definitely grown to that level now. Have you ever um, trained anywhere else in Asia? Oh, not really. Oh, not really. <laughs> I've trained in Australia, but as in like two sessions or something. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Like before fires. Like it's not. Um, yeah, I don't have any experience of it. I've yeah. trained. I've trained in most of the gyms in Phuket, and they've trained in Manchester. Yeah, like, really small pool. Yeah, but like you get to. I get the, the only thing is within that you do get to train with sort of um, people from around the world, and you do you get exposure to sort of different styles and like different training methodologies. And you can obviously learn about it from them. Is there um, anybody from like a certain area from of the world that you just thought like maybe the way they the the way they rolled or maybe the way they coached or maybe the way they trained, for example, that you've learned a lot from? Like for example, oh this guy's jujitsu was unbelievable. This guy's like coaching methodology was amazing. Oh this guy was super charismatic and just like like like. I mean the best but the best person I rolled. Like I answer a different question. Mm -hmm. The best person I rolled in Phuket was Josh Hinger, like when he was. Um, teaching yeah. in Bangtao when he was there, I got to with him a lot. He, that was really good. I can't remember how many times I rolled with him, but like when he was here, I tried to go like at least once a week, you know, twice a week. Like, his teaching was really good too. Really? Classes, like um, he's a really nice guy as well. 
I, I definitely learned from that sort of scene. Um, that's the only ADCC medalist I've ever ruled. Do you know what I mean? So that, that was like a great experience. Uh, a lot of really good Russian guys that you get to train with, like um, guys as well that are like really good grapplers, like um, like Dagestani guys and stuff. But like, uh, it's not really good jujitsu. You know what I mean? Like, there's like if it's a role within the rules of sort of jujitsu, it's like, yeah, you know, it's not they're not yeah. probably not going to win ADCC and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But like, if you were to grapple with them and you you're doing like wall wrestling and stuff like that, or you just look at grappling as a more sort of complete thing, you know, with the stand up skills and stuff, it's like like really really high level grappling, yeah. like lifelong grapplers. Mm-hmm. Like a lot a lot of them, it's uh, Joe training with them. We have like there's like a group of Dagestani guys that come to our gym like twice a week. Or something. Yeah, I, I always enjoy that. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of Russian people there now. Um, like especially at PGA as well, it seems like you got a lot of like Russian members, right? Yeah, just, well, just I think all the gyms do. Like in oh. Phuket in general, it's mm-hmm. like uh, probably there's more Thai people than anyone. But obviously, there's a huge expat community. Russian is the most prevalent sort of expat in Phuket now. Now, definitely, yeah. You know, the last two years more so than before as well. But like even before, there's like a huge Russian community. Yeah. Like nearly all the kids that train at our gym are Russian. Yeah, it seems. Um, yeah, there's a there's another kid, kids coaching KP as well, and, he, and most of his kids. Seem to be a uh, Russian as well. <laughs> yeah, like, like I think it's um from my observation as coach, like the, the, we have kids obviously as well from uh, maybe they're like mixed tie, you know, the parents from Europe or America. We have uh, you know kids that are just you know completely international, like from Australia, or Germany, and stuff like that. Uh, all the ones that we have in the advanced class are pretty like the exceptions, right? But if you look at like people that bring their kids in to try, I've noticed with um tends to be like much more sort of structure placed on the Russian kids. Like they'll be very consistent with their training. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they're training, even if it's just once a week yeah. or some of them, you know, it's every day. It's like their parent will bring them every time for that session. doesn't matter if the kid's tired, whatever. They don't really, you're going to do it. This is yeah. what you do. You yeah. know? Whereas like maybe some European parents, like the kids like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. But okay. That's fine there. Yeah. 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 Whereas that was like, no, you're, you, you do jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You're, you're learning this. Do you think there's a reason why the Russian parents are especially like that? They might not be in general. It's just the ones that have came yeah. to my gym. Okay. But like, yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, I guess yeah. it'd be like a cultural thing, you know? It, there's weird things I've noticed over there. It's like, there's like, with parents as well, it's like, you always see all this stuff as well where, you know, like for parents in sports, you shouldn't be too pushy and you shouldn't yeah. be too involved. Definitely healthier, but like, it's like, Probably really wrong to say as a coach, but like nearly all the kids that sort of reach the highest level, the fastest, don't say the best kids, all of them have parents that are like super, like even if it's not obtuse where they're like shouting at the kid on the mat and stuff, yeah. which like, you know, we tell them you can't talk yeah. to the kids while they're training. Like some of them, it's more, you know, subtle, you know, but like when they go home, like telling them to drill and stuff, you know, like it probably puts loads of kids off training, but the ones that stick to it, like parental involvement is actually quite important. I yeah, think. I think so. I agree. Yeah. I read, I read that in the Art of Learning as well, though. He was saying, like, for chess, like, yeah. all the best kids at chess had parents that are just, like... Yeah, push them into intense. it properly, yeah. yeah. I remember I remember um, uh, David Camarillo, he used to be, like, the one of the um, head grappling coaches at AK in... The, in uh, where is it? It's America, isn't it? It's America, yeah. Is it California? I can't remember the name of the area. I can't, anyway, but I remember um, he had a podcast going for a while as well. I love listening to it as well, because um, he used to talk about, like... Um, like the way the way sports develop, rules dictate behaviors. And he said that like um him and his brother I can't remember his I can't remember 
I remember his brother's name, but they both came from a very, very high level judo background. And he said like, there were certain parts in his life when he was coming up doing judo that he just didn't want to do it anymore. He was like, he was just like, I absolutely do not want to do this. And, um, but at the end he thanked his dad for like really pushing him into it. And like, even in the days they wouldn't, didn't want to go, they pushed him to go, you know? So yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. Parental encouragement is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not, like, I think it's unhealthy when they're like shouting at the kids, like, um, for losing, you know, yeah. like I hate that. If you're tired and you don't want to do it, sometimes you do have to be told, like, no, you, you, you have to you, push through you, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, um, absolutely. Like, I think it's a good life skill, you know, even if they don't become professional jiu jitsu athletes or competitors, it's like, like, teaches discipline and structure. And like, it's like that thing when you know one thing, you know everything, right? If you like learn how to learn, you understand sort of how to, um, yeah. take on skills that you can apply that to anything. Like, at our gym, for example, we have had a couple of, well, only one single instance with the father's kind of shouting on the sides. He has been warned about it now, but yeah, but um, the daughter is definitely consistent. She competes very consistently as well. Yeah. Parents Russian, but I mean, you can, you can tell the father's very, very loving and he definitely loves his kids and wants them to do good as well. So it's kind of like a weird bit of a balance. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it comes with, with the kids that we have. I don't think it comes because the parents are trying to like, which is like the common perception, right? I don't think the parents are trying to live, live through, through their kids. Yeah. No, no. I think they just, that. They want their kids to sort of be successful, you know? Yeah. And uh, even though it can be like annoying and it's something to deal with, like like teaching kids isn't too hard. It's like dealing with the parents, which is difficult. But like, I, I definitely can, especially now I have my own my daughter, I can yeah. see where they're coming from. And like, I am compassionate of it, you know? Cause like, yeah. if, like if parents aren't on board with it, like um, you're not going to do a good job anyway, you know? You yeah. have to have everyone involved. So you just uh, recently started um, supplying a, progress jiu-jitsu goods in thailand um, oh, yeah but um they've been sponsoring for years right yeah, yeah yeah like um they're from manchester originally so like obviously all brands sort of start locally but um they started sponsoring me when i was 19 and then uh they supported me when i kind of came here and stuff like um i've always wore sort of progress shorts to fight things like that you know i wanted to stock it in my gym and stuff like uh eventually worked something out so yeah now i'm importing it distributing it across thailand yep it's gone, I've only been here for like sort of six weeks, you know, maybe two months, but it's gone really well. Yeah, it seems, I mean, you know, I actually saw, um, I don't know when it was, I think it was just after I got my blue belt, it was like my first competition in Scotland, I think it was either Edinburgh maybe, and uh, I saw these young kids uh, wearing like a new gear and it said progress on it as well, and then now they've come all the all this way and I'm actually really, really, really oh, impressed, yeah. Bro, they're like, um, they've got to be like top 10 brands in the world now, I think. Must be. Definitely in Europe, like sort of top five, like it's. I sponsor like ADCC champions yeah. and stuff. You know, it's pretty impressive how they've grown. Yeah, because I mean, the guys are like really good guys. They're really nice guys, like James and like uh, Sam, and then like everyone they get involved. Like they really, uh, they look after all their staff. Like, I don't know, they're just like lads, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, they've done something really good. Yeah, some of the UK brands, I'm really, I'm really impressed with. Um, uh, one of my partners in BJJ, he really likes scramble stuff. It's almost like yeah. the kind of like the indie brand of like jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, I remember my um. Project Factory, he was like one of the first people to be sponsored by them, I think. So I've seen it from when I was like 16. I had like the Shinya Aoki spats, you yeah. know, like the uh, multicolored panel ones and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in the UK, like a lot of really good brands, like yeah. Titan Air, Scramble, Progress, like uh, like some of the biggest in the world. Yeah. Other, sort of other, uh, Even in Europe now, you've got some pretty impressive brands as well. For, um, for example, uh, I think Mantle's come to Asia now as well, but they're based in Taipei right now. Is it? Yeah. Like, um, I remember Mantle being like a. I started as well and then you didn't really see it for years yeah like uh, if you had like a pair of mantle shorts it was like 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question about jiu-jitsu. How would you evaluate the current current trends in jiu-jitsu? And where do you see the sport progressing? Like, let's uh, say, for example, like, like in technical aspect. Or... Technical aspect, number one. Um, Like, for example, do you see gi jiu-jitsu dying, like some other people say? Or do you see no-gi grappling growing exponentially? What, what do you I see? think no-gi is becoming more popular. I think so, I, yeah. Like, that's pretty universally agreed, right? But, like, um... I don't think gi will die. I think there'll always kind of be a place for it. And like, uh, obviously we just do no gi um, and, you know, wrestling for uh, the adult program. But we still do do gi with the kids at our gym just because yeah. like, a lot of the kids started with the gi. Like, they couldn't really get rid of it. Most of the tournaments for children are gi. Yeah. But like, but like, I, I listened to something where a guy was talking about, um, we were saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, you have to do gi with children just because um, when people bring their children to sort of train, they don't, a lot of parents will actually know what BJJ is, you know, they don't know what grapple no, is. No, they don't know. And like, you see the gi, it's like, um, so it's martial arts, though, yeah. you know, so like, you see the gi, it kind of like, like the gi is like a marketing tool, you know, I think. Like, like sure. magic, it's like, I see some of the Thai parents, as soon as they tie that white belt on with the white little gi on, and then they start taking falls yeah, and record yeah, them. They, they don't like, they don't know what's going on, but obviously they yeah, just love them in that uniform, right? A kid gets the first gi, it's like a big deal for the parent. Yeah. I've never seen someone like put it on and the parents not looking at them like, <laughs> another thing i've noticed is like especially with kids stripes really do matter as well like um uh, the way it is at arete for example um like uh, our head coach andy never believed in stripes but then yeah. once we moved into the bigger location initially that's when they start giving out stripes for uh, white belts because sometimes it's hard to gauge where you are right but then yeah. after that you're just gonna get your next one when you're ready basically but for kids i think it is pretty important we recently had to amend it like I've, there's no good reason for it it's just like mm -hmm. things are going on and then like uh when you promote kids as well, well, with anyone really, right? You have sort of groups of training partners, whatever, who've always kind of came through together. Mm -hmm. So you want to promote them at the same time. There's no kind of like, or you limit the hierarchy between them and stuff. But uh, I realized I didn't give stripes for like months, like 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 four or five months when yeah. moving to the new gym, like having to like try and catch up on them all now. A lot of adults wouldn't sort of admit it, but like they do care. They want to hear. They like, do. They do. They yeah. want to hear like, oh, you're getting better. You're doing a good job. Like, yeah. Um, like for kids obviously even more yeah when want, like affirmation yeah like, true even with, as an adult you might you might not get it as much as you used to but you still definitely want it i would think yeah yeah, yeah. I, you you realize later but like um i remember like really wanting a blue belt like like, yeah, like, me too. like dying for it you know like like what the, I, i'm tapping all these blue belts in the gym what the, and and i can see now like he probably really didn't want to give me one like i must have been super annoying bro like <laughs> Like, why is this, like, fucking 16-year-old, like, going crazy, like, fucking yeah. trying to kill everyone he rolls? Like, I, would, I must have been a most super annoying student. I understand that. Like, yeah. I'd be in, like, a coach and, like, a man, how he must have felt when he saw me. That, that's exactly how I feel about my old coach in this UK as well. Um, but, it, so, I was a Carlson Gracie Association as well. It was Carlson Gracie Scotland Aberdeen. And uh, at... The training was great. The coaching was really great. The teammates were really great, but they only had classes. Like, I think it was like four times a week. I wanted a little bit extra. So I'd go to open mats and stuff like that. And the coaches used to come from like a Jeet Kune Do background, like a traditionalist Bruce Lee style martial artist. And I think maybe that carried over to the jujitsu side of things a little bit. They, they weren't very, they didn't like the idea of you cross training that much. Yeah. Some yeah. gyms are a little bit like that. And I think, I think yeah. uh, Cross and Gracie was a little bit like that back in the day as well. Regards cross training for MMA, I get it. Like, mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, to be fair as well, if you if you're talking about professional sports, like mm -hmm. now it's more professional grappling. When there's like money involved, or there's stuff where it's like your health, right? You know, you get like fucked up. 
Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, if it's like someone goes and trains with MMA, you go and train with who I'm going to fight and then you tell them about me. I do get that. Yeah. When it's like hobbyists who pay 60 pound, you know, a month, whatever to train, like, oh, I want to train there. Like, I think like 99% of it's just fueled by like insecurity. I think so. Yeah. It's worried like they're going to like it there more mm-hmm. and then they won't pay you. I think yeah. it's larger that like anyone from my gym, like, I have a problem where people go, do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I'd encourage it because I, like, I'm confident in what our gym is, yeah. do you know what I mean? And like, there's, there's people, like, it's not like no one's ever left my gym to train somewhere else. There's people that have left, but it's like, much more come, you know, if they train somewhere else. But it's like, it's just a better fit for some people. Yeah. You're like, selfish too, as a coach, mm-hmm. if you like. like Especially if, when you like the person as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If like, like one woman left like about a year, year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and like, um, like, you know, she came to sports me, oh, it's just like, there's not really many women training here right now. Like, now we have a lot more women training at our gym. There, you know, there's like five or six every single class. Like, um, I think it's better for me, you know, kind of, I short move areas as well. It's like, it'd be so selfish of me to be like, no, nah, I need to stay here. Exactly, like, yeah. Like, like, you want to just be happy, keep training, you know, enjoy it. Uh, yeah. When it comes down to it, it's, it's what's best for the students as well, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. 100% like, yeah. Ultimately, the people that stay at your gym will be the people that belong there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? In terms of grappling, where do you think Sam um, growing the fastest in Asia right now? I have no idea. I'm not like traveling. <laughs> I'll just like copy Jason's answer. It's yeah. quite, I like, like it makes sense as well. It's yeah, probably, China, yeah, well, probably would be China. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an infrastructure in Singapore where grappling could be really good because there's so much money there. Yeah, like, exactly. You can bring in really good coaches. And like, like I think there's a lot of jujitsu gyms there too as well, like especially for the gay. But like, I mean, you were saying to me like, you're a Samoa teacher there. So there's like literally yeah. an AD, a multiple time ADCC champion Nobody kn- yeah. in Singapore. No one talks about it, you know, but it's like really high level. Yeah. But then it's so expensive to live there. Exactly. You have like, it doesn't support building athletes. Exactly. Even though you have like a really good infrastructure for training, you know, in theoretically like, it should be Thailand just because mm-hmm. there's like, Southeast Asia, at least obviously outside of, outside of China, mm-hmm. just cause you have like the MMA and like, you do have really good grapplers that come here, even if it's not necessarily jujitsu, there's so many Russian guys, so many guys that do wrestling and you know, you know like fighters, like cheaper to live. Athletes can kind of stay here for extended yeah. periods of time. Yeah. I don't know. Muay, Muay Thai law has been more popular as well. Just like for getting students into it too, right? Just cause of the, there's a quicker financial payoff with Muay Thai. With more. What I find in comparison, like Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu as well, with with striking classes, you feel really refreshed afterwards, hitting pads, and you know, like sometimes. it's like sometimes, <laughs> yeah. But then, like if if you're if you're just doing like a like a kick, let's say like a kickboxing class, for yeah. example, I feel like you you feel that like um, short term reward really quickly. But with Jiu Jitsu, if you actually stick at it, the reward is much larger, and you feel so much more fulfilled in the long term. Yeah. But um, yeah, I can yeah. see why like Muay Thai is like really popular initially. But but uh, if you're talking like about in Thailand as well, like for um, Thai children to sort of join up, mm-hmm. like to do jujitsu is like more expensive, right? There's like a higher barrier to yeah. entry. It's not as accessible. Most Thai people who become really high level Muay Thai fighters, it's financially motivated from since they're very young. You know, I, I'm sure they exist, but I don't think it's like a common thing where there's like a wealthy Thai family and the kid just like loves Muay Thai yeah. and they go to Rajadam champion. I'm sure there's a, a, been a few, but it's like, it's kind of similar as well when it comes to, um, with like boxing in the UK as well, you'd say as well, right? Yeah. They'd say like fighters and stuff come from sort of poverty or sort of hardship. That's like a pretty, it's a common narrative anyway. Yeah. Right? Ex- yeah. I think in Jiu Jitsu, it's like outside of Brazil, 
the guys that become really good at jiu-jitsu come from Ge pretty... they're generally from like yeah really wealthy families yeah. or you have like parents that want to live through their kids as well so they yeah. take them to like like yeah i shouldn't pull, say pull, pull, pull them out of school yeah like, train twice a day mm -hmm. they'll like support them when like 20 there's loads of guys in that here who are like some of them stay for years as well they just train full-time yeah like never work kind of thing, just fine. It's like it's pretty crazy. Like like uh, for example, AOG. I think a lot of the kids end up moving to Costa Mesa to train at that school specifically. But then, of course, the um, the kids' education as well um, is really important. So I think they homeschool as well. Um, I think the Tackett brothers and all that. Like, oh, they were homeschooled so they can mm -hmm. train jujitsu. Yeah, can pay off, right? Is yeah, that, it, it can really pay off. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like jujitsu now is like really yeah. exploding to the point where the, the athletes are actually starting like there is a financial incentive as well because yeah. it's even on UFC Fight Pass now as well. So yeah, you pull your kid out of school so they train twice a day. Definitely sounds like you're trying to live through them. But, yeah, yeah. But, I've, I mean, I wish I could have done it. That would have been sick. Yeah, that would have been pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. I found it a little bit too late. I think it was like 26 when I first started after uni. But yeah, it was interesting because like with the, um, with the UK scene, it initially started in London, kind of with um, that this like dingy, apparently it's called this like dingy little boiler room called Budokwai or something like that. And it was all these hard ass judo guys learning how to do jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of spread out from there, basically. That's what I was associated with initially. So that's why I ended up going there for like week camps over in Hammersmith. Man, I remember the first time I went there for a week, I was training twice a day and it came out with two black eyes. But it was a good experience though. But they do definitely train really rough though. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your coaching methodology. I always find it interesting with schools, especially especially the schools that have a really good reputation. How do you approach your coaching? Um, this can be from how, how you think, like the best way to like structure a class is, for example, what's the progression week on week, month on month? How do you kind of like, um, map it out in your mind and how do you like try and look for the progression in your students? I would do it differently if I lived somewhere other than Phuket probably mm -hmm. because um, it is more transient and there's yeah. more even though we have like a core group of people that are kind of there most of the year, mm -hmm. like um, a lot of people will come for a month or a few weeks and then they'll leave and then uh, very often we have a lot of people that come back regularly. Not We have like morning and evening we like separate so there'll be like different sort of topics and curriculums you know. But, generally just spend like at least a week on sort of whatever position we're doing. I don't put too much sort of emphasis though on like last week we did this yeah. and this is the next step because there were half the people there might not have been there last week, which is really difficult, you know? Yeah. I kind of focus on what, sometimes a lot of times what I'm kind of interested in as well mm -hmm. at the time, mm -hmm. like what I'm working on or like what I can see people need to work on your sort of key positions, whatever, you know, like a lot of front headlock, a lot of back, turtle, um, guard, passing. Do maybe independent drills to warm up, you know, like mm -hmm. 10, 15 minutes, just because like, people should have their own things they're working on as well. Like yeah. you can't just rely on the class structure to take you through everything. Me and the other coach will go around and like, we'll help people if they have questions, we'll sort of make little adjustments to the drills, you know, so if people have things they're working on. Yep. Then we'll do, depending on what it is, sort of two to three techniques, spend like 10, 15 minutes drilling each technique. Then 20 minutes positional sparring from sort of wherever we're, um, working that day mm -hmm. and then open mat until sort of people are not rolling yeah that's pretty typical of uh most of our main classes yeah. we have some like other classes that like fundamentals or drilling classes but that'd be like the main class structure yeah so basically just because of the transients of phuket with them with like the kind of the people that come in it's kind of like half half locals well not locals but half people they're going to stay there long term and then a lot of tourists coming in you got to kind of just structure it kind of like a different topic week on week basically you know, I sometimes do the same thing for a few weeks, mm -hmm. but like, um, it's definitely not so efficient to be like, draw, reminding people of what you did, like, 
oh, two weeks ago we were doing this. Yep. Like people are just looking, look at you like blanks. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, maybe they don't even speak English as well. Yeah, you, know, you have like those guys that are, like those guys. You know, English is a second language. I, I think if you come to our gym, like what, whatever we're working on in that sort of time period that you're there, you'll definitely improve in them positions. You mm -hmm. know? But then, like how people sort of pull that together, it does become more in, yeah. independent. Like to run 16 week cycles and stuff like that would be like maybe 15% of the class might benefit and sort of yeah. be there through it. But like a lot, that'll be a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. It really is geographical. It really depends on yeah. where you're actually working from. Yeah. yeah. The, the kids is a bit different. The kids, we can progress, you know, you can spend like a, three or four weeks on a topic and like, you can draw back to what you did three months ago, but like with the adults, it's, um, it ends up being better training and like sort of running smoother. Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask is in terms of, in terms of your own personal progression, for example, how do you balance that being a full-time coach? Would you say? I, I actually feel like I probably like improved more at jiu-jitsu and started like since you started co teaching coaching and coaching it, coaching it like but since I had the gym then like any time before that just because it was like um it was training MMA for so long like I jiu-jitsu was like the last thing I'd do for most of that time too because I was like that was what I was already best at so yeah. I was like doing all these other things like I was doing jiu-jitsu once twice maybe once or twice a week right and wrestling a lot sparring striking I think I'll learn more now as well, just because like, I think the better you get, mm -hmm. like, instructionals or like technique videos or just like watching like matches mm -hmm. and people drilling, you can pick up way more from it when you sort of uh, already have like a high under higher understanding, you know? Like like if you gave a textbook, you know, maths to like a, a, someone who had a PhD mm -hmm. or like someone in primary school, yeah. same information, but like the guy with a PhD can take way more out of it, you know? I, I think it's the same with um, instructionals. Loads of it's just from like Instagram as well. Like, yeah. like Instagram techniques. Like yeah. perfect for like my attention span. <laughs> and then like just have do that and then like, sorry, all right, I wanna get better at um you know, uh, K guard. It's like we'll do K guard in the class this week. I'm gonna spar from there, try and put myself in sparring there as much as possible. Yeah. And just like um I don't always do it. Sometimes you come in, you know, you don't you don't have a plan, you don't focus, but like if you just sort of it's definitely the best way to train. You just get like small area you can make like a big improvement in that in like a short time rather than just sort of trying to get better in general i just, I just try to do that i'm not sure if i put it together the best way mm -hmm. but um but it seems that seems to be position by position you know it seems like that's the best way to learn i mean it seems like that's what danaher's doing just now with um like just working posi specific positions and then i don't know if you've heard of this guy greg souders from standard jiu-jitsu like he's well he's um he, everyone's been saying ecological 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 but it's called like an ecological approach to training there's a i can't I, I think it's a guy called robert gray and it was all about how to coach properly and basically they don't teach technique in classes anymore it's all specific sparring basically and they just gamify everything in specific sparring and um, if you if you check out um greg saddles on instagram for example they'll give you examples of how they do it specifically and they just do like like um, interesting progressions right you're holding on to the single leg and um, the first game you're just going to do this for two minutes 100 you're going to try and maintain that that connection for as long as possible and the other person's just trying to disconnect level two you try and sit him down to the mat and there's a continuous game where the guy's just trying to disconnect and then finally level three is trying to bring them down to the mat their hips down to the mat or get into uh get hip access for example has um who trains there is there anyone there's like elite level that's there actually yeah there's these two brothers called cobra and i think they've been winning pans nogi and they, they pretty much train all nogi now specifically and uh, greg sauders used to be from team lloyd irvin but he left in um i think 
2014, he went straight, went head first into no gi more. There's a funny story about it, but you, you should listen to it. Like it's it's, it's a pretty funny story. But um, he, obviously, Team Lloyd was pretty notorious for having like a pretty competitive team as well. But his students have been. Um, he used to watch all that Never yeah. Chase and stuff in like 2013. I yeah, like, I love that. Yeah, like BJ Kumite was amazing as well. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Shame, shame all yeah. that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> would like to see the videos. <laughs> Stop releasing episodes. Yeah, um, check out Standard Jiu Jitsu uh, YouTube channel. Actually, you see them; they're actually killing it in um, at the ADCC Open. Yeah. The one of the Cobra brothers, for example, he's went to every single one, like Dallas, um, all the all the current ADCC competitions that went down in certain states and in Canada as well, and he's won every single one of them basically. So uh, it seems like they are producing yeah. results. Yeah. Yeah, like these guys that have been to our gym who've like spent time at like um you know like B team and stuff, like it's quite a few people. So like I always whenever people have been to places like that, I like asking like um what the session how did they structure the sessions, what do they do, you know? And it's like it does seem like it is generally though, like you do some technique, mm -hmm. positional sparring and you do sparring, you know? There's so much stuff that like uh like I've gone for years without training positional sparring, you know, with like certain places where it's just yeah. like I oh, just hip escapes down the mat where like run around in a circle for a bit yeah normally you run around in a circle before your hip escapes yeah and then like do technique and then we do five minute rounds with a one minute break there's like no reason even there's just we just do it because it's like uh that's just what you do you yeah. know it's like people show things it's just kind of what they got showed when they were a white belt whatever but like um there's like probably no reason to train like a five minute jiu-jitsu round with a one minute break there's like no if you do MMA, like it kind of mimics MMA rounds, yeah. but if you do MMA, you wouldn't grapple for five minutes. You know, you're probably going to grapple for like maybe three minutes maximum, you know, and then you have a shot. So you do like, you might as well do shorter rounds with like a lower rest period, yeah. whatever. And if you do jiu-jitsu tournaments, even if you have a five minute match, you always have like at least the same time as your match as a break right before another match. Mm -hmm. Like you don't really need to just take yeah. a minute. Like, but we just do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The training methodologies and everything will probably, um, as it, the sport becomes professionalized and there's like more investment in it, it probably will actually be yeah. developed to, to like, like with wrestling, there's like a Olympic training centers. It's like, you should, you, they know exactly what you should do each week. Like people need to do blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things that's been long standing in the various countries. Like, uh, like the Japanese wrestling culture is insane. Same with, um, for example, the US, Russia, they've all got their own different methodologies, but it's definitely a meritocracy, right? I mean, you start at a very young age, you go through high school. If you're good enough in high school, you go to college, you go through college. And if you're good enough after college, you're either going to, you know, you're, you're going to go into the Olympic yeah. training center, basically. Like conditioning as well. That's mm -hmm. like, in nearly every other sort of spot, like martial art, mm -hmm. the conditioning aspect, aspects included. Like if you do Muay Thai or you do boxing, it's like, uh, you do skipping, you do your push-ups, you have to do your running, whatever. Mm -hmm. You do wrestling, like from when the kids, they're doing like a certain, like, you know, different places, different things, but there's certain exercises they're all doing. When you do jiu-jitsu, you just kind of like... Just do it kind of thing, yeah. And then you're like... Yeah, there should be some kind of professional regimen to it. It, it, it probably. And I, I, I don't really lift or anything either. I know I should, but like, it's definitely missing. <laughs> You've got a great gym area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought once I had the gym, I'd start doing it. But yeah, yeah no, I'll do it, definitely do it now. <laughs> now I've bought all this. Yeah. Um, it's getting used quite a lot, actually. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. There's like, again, there's a lot of people who come, when we first got it, they're like, 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 like Jason is like, mm. yeah, I'll probably come in, man. I'll, you know, I'll lift before I train and then, you know, do my jiu jitsu. It's like, do it for a bit and then they're like, I'm pretty tired today, yeah. you know? <laughs> I'll just roll. Yeah. <laughs>
So I want to ask you, yeah. So what's the future plans? What, like in terms of long term, let's say five years, what do you want to achieve in five years? Again, it's probably a more concrete goal. Is it? It's not good <laughs> like more specific. It's all right. Like it's smart, all right. Like smart, yeah, I mean, you come this far, you know. Thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I bet I've gotten further. <laughs> um, personally, I'd well, obviously continue to sort of develop as an athlete, yep. be a better coach, um, learn more, uh, still compete in grappling, well, continue competing. I'd like to probably do ADCC trials. I do want to fight more. Yeah. Like, um, I probably have to prioritize like the other thing at the moment in this instance, you know, yeah. I just should have had a fight today. Like, I accepted one. Like I was training MMA for a little while again, like six weeks ago, I accepted one and I canceled like, Oh really? Later. Yeah. So I should, but I should have been fighting today with the gym. I want it to sort of continue to get more sort of internationally known. I'd like to have people regularly competing at like an international level. Yeah. 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 So, and that'd be the next step would be like not winning sort of uh ADCC opens and stuff, but like people actually go in to do like you know, going on to do trials and different things like that. That'd be Yeah, so you seem to have quite a lot of um well well you said just because the way Phuket is, you seem to have a lot more um like um uh, Russian students, for example. Um do you, do you ever find yourself coming to any of these like Thai local competitions at all? Like there seems to be a lot in Bangkok. I don't know about yeah, Phuket. Yeah, you, yeah. not in Phuket. There's not. I I used to bring kids there quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I've been to loads of them, but yeah. um they're a little bit they're a little bit local local. I, I like find the, it kind of difficult to like kind of the Nuaza, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some of the Russian parents do go to them yeah. when they have the big ones that we normally take like a you know a group of kids. Yeah. But uh when they go on, like the kids that are like, really serious about competing, the parents take them. It was a bit harder to find and stuff. Yeah. But they're, like, they're, so they'll take like five or six kids. Mm -hmm. But then when we have like the uh, Siam Cup, you know, or like yeah. uh, that AFG even, because mm -hmm. it's all like sort of marketed in English and stuff, all the parents can see it easier. Yeah. Then we can take like 20 something like that, you know? It's just because there's there's three different types of events for the Nawaza format, right? There's that one where it's almost like MMA, where you have striking, yeah, fight, yeah. fighting. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then I think we need to score a certain amount of points in all three areas, and then you have the the, the performative one as well for duo. Yeah, well, you're like, uh, it's traditional jiu-jitsu. Yeah, right? yeah, I understand. Yeah, but but, but they kind of do that with the Muay Thai when you go to the shows and they do that kind of like moving around, dancing around, jumping on the knees, and then like elbowing the guy and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> but. I I mean to be fair, it's like it's just traditional jiu jitsu yeah. tournaments, isn't it? But they've been kind of hijacked by BJJ to yeah. like sending the kids there. Mm -hmm. it, it was meant to just be like pretty much judo clubs, mm -hmm. and, you know, traditional. Yeah. They probably fucking hate it now. Like the, there's like a there's the traditional jiu jitsu gym and um like it was in Phuket. Like uh, I was taking kids to like these small competitions like five six years ago, and like uh. Bro, he just used to give me like evil looks all the time, and like they, they had, he had like he had like a, he had a student called um I won't name him, but anyone mm -hmm. that goes to the tournaments know the kid. There's like a kid yeah. who speaks perfect Thai, perfect Russian, perfect English, mm -hmm. and like he was friends with some of the, ki the kids that I've mm -hmm. taught, and he'd like likes to chat a lot. Yeah, he'd come over and be like, yeah, yeah, my coach hates you. Yeah, yeah, hates you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, 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 he's pretty big, right? Yeah, he's massive. Man. He's got ponytail as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've not seen him yet. I've seen him since he was like ten, mate. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's nice. It's nice, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks like, a lot. He's picked, picked it up. Yeah, he's picked, picked it up though. Fair play. Yeah. Him. But he was like saying to him, he's like, yeah, yeah. He said, he said, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is just about money, you know. Like, it's like, yeah. I was just like, all right, thanks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think he just doesn't like that our kids win. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I've yeah, met him before walked, as well. The, actually, the coach yeah. walked in one time as well. I was playing like catch with one of the kids, and he like barged into me. 
and then he like it was kind of it shouldn't I shouldn't laugh there. He's like a forty five year old man. A lot of guys doing it, but like barged into me from behind and like like turned around like oh, and he just went. You should look with your eyes. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like what the fuck, bro? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's, like the kid yeah. told me as well. He, yeah. I didn't just barge into him. He like walked up behind me and like, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's an interesting that um like because when you come to these Asian countries as well, like for example, like you got these jujitsu teams and national teams coming along now, like Vietnam. Um, national team's really good. Though. Yeah, yeah. Like the Thai national team's amazing. Dot Dot's done a really great job, but they come from a judo background, right? Yeah. But then I've noticed as well, like for example, um, I've got a mate that comes from Marine MMA in India, and apparently there's a, like national team selections. They were never called upon. None of the gyms were. It was only these specific people that got picked for the team and Probably stuff like that. Politics involved. Yeah, in it, I imagine. it was the same with it was the same with um, Myanmar as well. For example, like um, you had this Burmese guy that used to train in Japan. He started teaching jujitsu, but he was only allowed to teach the karate national team Nawaza basically, and um, before the whole coup thing. And it was kind of weird where you weren't allowed to. They weren't technically allowed to cross train. So if they came to train at like the gym I was teaching at, for example, they'd have to be out of the group full. So it's like it's a little bit weird, but. It is what it is. The national team here is really good though. Like I think um, it's really good. You know, they get like the education and everything included, yeah. right? Like it's a great, it's like Jim's thing with like this OG Academy and like the Fight for the Future Foundation. Yeah. They want, it's less about making sort of champions, isn't it? But it's like, it's a way into university. It's a way out of sort of uh, poverty and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, all, all, all the, the national team sometimes comes to our gym. Like they come training Phuket every now and then. Like all of them are good, you know. They all, yeah. they all have like not the same style, but you can you can see that they're all training together, like very similar. Uh, use a lot of similar techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. Like the well, the well drilled. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? like, yeah, it's good. The, the 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 training. Well, obviously, it's for competitions. They're going to the world championships in Mongolia right now, so the training format's a little bit different, obviously, and they have to be a lot more harder when they roll. I think, and uh, when they come in, I mean, it's. They have good competition style. Yeah, like a lot of outside yeah. and stuff. Like, um, yeah. I see mainly train no gi with them. I think yeah. they're more gi focused. I, now, I they are a little bit more gi focused, but I think they need to start looking at the no gi a little bit more. According to Dot, they're going to add more no gi um, mm. competition as well. So it should be interesting. To 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 like Toto, right? Yeah, Toto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you were saying like, mm -hmm. more, uh, more and more no gi tournaments for like the SEA yeah. and stuff. Start doing leg locks and shit. Yeah. Um, they better learn fast. Uh, my last question is, um, is there anybody that you would like to thank? Thanks Progress Jiu Jitsu. Um, all the guys at the gym that make the gym what it is. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I know like it's a bit of a yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Cool. Thanks everyone. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you.